MC Light here, and this time I'm using my voice to tell you about something I just started using. New Shea Moisture Deodorants, created for rich melanin skin. Shea Moisture antiperspirant deodorants even skin tone and protect against sweat and odor for 48 hours. Shea Moisture whole body deodorants freshen all over all day with plant-based ingredients. No aluminum. Black dermatologist and gynecologist approved. I'm just saying, living in my rich melanin and protecting it too. A new equation for switching on outcomes is here from PwC. It's human-led and tech-powered. It's PwC with Oracle, SAP, Salesforce, and Workday. It's PwC with Microsoft, AWS, and Google. Simplify your systems and amplify your results. Switch on outcomes with PwC and their alliances. Learn more at pwc.com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey, folks. I hope everybody had a great Halloween. I had a total of three trick-or-treaters this year. Hmm, was a bit let down. If you follow me on social media, you know I go all out decorating for Halloween. So I was kind of let down by really not getting any visitors. I would have even taken an egg. I don't know really what else I've got to do. I already give out full-size candy bars. Now I find myself eating Kit Kats for breakfast with a Snickers chaser. Listen. I need all your help with something. If you've been listening to the show lately, I've been running a trailer for my new show, Last Meal, in front of my episodes. And here is where I run into my problem. I don't want to have to ask everyone to subscribe to another show. I know all of your time is precious, and I'm eternally grateful that you choose to spend some of that time with me. And I know you all probably listen to or follow at least a few different podcasts. And to ask you to follow one more is rude. I already asked you guys to follow Zoning Out, and now I'm asking for another one? Who does this guy think he is? So, this is what I was thinking. Instead of launching an entire new podcast, how about once a month, I post a bonus Last Meals episode here, and just include it on Haunted American History. Sure, it's not paranormal, but it definitely is a haunted part of American history. So I thought this week I would bring you the first episode and leave it up to you guys. Listen and let me know. You can find me on Twitter at haunted underscore a underscore h or send me an email at hauntedamericanhistory at gmail.com. Shoot me a message and tell me if you want to hear more Last Meals. Personally, I think you're going to enjoy it. So I hope to hear from you and enjoy Last Meal. Hey, folks. I've got a nice little factoid for you guys. Do you know that one in five Americans have learned a new language on their bucket lists? If that's you, which odds are one in five, make 2024 the year you finally check it off the list with Babbel. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts 
to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. And if you struggle with pronunciation, like old Chrissy over here, Babbel will work miracles. Head on over to babbel.com slash haunted for a special deal for my listeners. Right now, you can get 55% off your Babbel subscription, but that's only for my listeners at babbel.com slash haunted. That's B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash haunted. Rules and restrictions may apply. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown. With three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown, you get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com. Court Documents from the United States Court of Appeals for the Sixth Circuit, January 30th, 2002. On the night of August 31st, 1986, Richard Wade Cooey II, on leave from the United States Army, and two of his friends, Clint Dickens and Kenneth Horonitz, they threw a large chunk of concrete over the side of a bridge just as Wendy Ofredo and Don McCreary were passing along underneath on Interstate 77 in Akron, Ohio. The concrete hit Wendy's window, forcing her to pull over. The men went down and offered a ride so the women could call for help. After driving them to a nearby mall to use a telephone, the men then took the women to a field where they were raped, beaten, and murdered by Cooey and Dickens. The men also stole Wendy's jewelry. The bodies were found on September 1st, the Summit County coroner concluded that Wendy and Dawn had died of multiple blows to the head. Wendy received at least three blows, and Dawn, at least 11, with strangulation also contributing to Wendy's death. The coroner also concluded that both women had oral and vaginal intercourse before death. I'm Christopher Feinstein, and this is Last Meals. 20-year-old Dawn McCreary and 21-year-old Wendy Ofredo were friends, co-workers, and University of Akron sorority sisters, who were finishing up a shift at the Brown Derby restaurant on the night of August 31, 1986. They were planning on meeting some friends at a local bar, a spot that was very popular at the time with University of Akron students. They never made it. Richard Cooey II was born on June 9, 1967, in Akron, Ohio. He'd lived with his parents outside of Akron in the small suburb of Stowe. He was described as a scrawny, red-headed troublemaker. He would spit on people as they walked by and even set a house on fire in the neighborhood and blamed it on a kid with special needs. 
The boy led a troubled life and had a very rough upbringing. His father, Richard Cooey Sr., would abuse the boy in very gruesome ways regularly, but nothing could compare to the trouble ahead. His parents divorced when he was 11. He spent his junior and high school years living between Stowe with his father and Akron with his grandmother, Audrey Cooey. Richard graduated from Stowe High School in 1985 and immediately enlisted in the U.S. Army. The following summer, he returned on leave. On the morning of September 1, 1986, Richard met up with two of his hometown buddies, Clint Dickens and Kenneth Hornitz. They spent their day palling around and catching up on the time that Richard was away. That evening, the trio decided to spend their time on the Stoner Street Bridge that ran over Interstate 77, throwing chunks of concrete onto the cars below. One of the chunks thrown by Clint Dickens struck the car of Wendy Alfredo, shattering her windshield. The three men wasted no time. They jumped into the car Cooey had borrowed from his grandmother and sped down to the interstate under the guise of helping the ladies. The women agreed, and the five of them got into the car together and drove to Rolling Acres Mall, where Wendy used a payphone to call her mother. I'm game if you're game, Cooey said as Dickens suggested they rob the two women. This agreement came after Cooey himself spoke with Miss Alfredo, Wendy's mother, and promised her that nothing bad would happen to the girls. They had $37. Cooey pulled a knife on the women when they realized they were not being driven back to their car. Horonitz demanded to be let out of the car after Cooey told him to tie Miss McCreary's hands. Driving to a wooded area in nearby Norton, where they tortured and raped them for three and a half hours. Hey Clint, put on the bad company tape, Cooey said. That led Dickens to say the women should be killed, because they knew his name. Dickens grabbed Miss Afredo in a chokehold, and Cooey used the shoelace to strangle her as Dickens strangled Miss McCreary with the other shoelace. Cooey then beat both women with a club, stabbed McCreary in the neck, and abandoned the bodies only after they carved large X's onto their stomachs. Richard and Clint then decided they wanted to sell the girls' clothing and jewelry to make some extra cash. A few days following the murders, an informant called Akron detectives telling the police that Cooey was trying to sell jewelry belonging to the victims. The informant named the street Cooey lived on. Cooey and Dickens, in the days following the murders, bragged about what they did to several close friends who eventually turned them in. The police immediately set up surveillance around Cooey's house while two warrants were being obtained, one to search and one to arrest Cooey. Items were removed from his person and from his grandmother's automobile. Clinton and Richard were both arrested and charged with the murders. They had found a bloody pocket knife used to stab Wendy in the neck in Clinton's pocket when he was arrested, and some of the burned items still had traces of the girl's blood. Dickens, the juvenile who was only 17, was tried as an adult. He was found guilty and sentenced to life imprisonment. Cooey waived his right to a trial by jury, and a panel of judges was assigned to try him. Cooey was found guilty on two counts of aggravated murder, two counts of aggravated robbery, two counts of kidnapping, one count of felonious assault, and four counts of rape by the panel of judges, and he was sentenced to death. Kenneth Horonitz was also arrested. He was released on parole after serving one year of a 3-15 to 15 year prison sentence for felonious assault. Cooey later claimed that he didn't kill or beat anyone, 
He admitted to raping the women, claiming he did rape under duress. He also stated that he was under the influence of alcohol and illegal drugs, such as cocaine and opium at the time. Court records show that he only ever was visited by two people when he was on death row. His grandmother, Audrey, and his father. Cooey was confined at the Southern Ohio Correctional Facility. In June of 2003, after an execution date was set by the Ohio Supreme Court, the Ohio Parole Board conducted a clemency hearing and recommended Governor Bob Taft deny clemency, which he did. He was scheduled to be executed on July 24, 2003. On June 10, 2003, a little over one month before Cooey's execution date, the chief deputy clerk of the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals mailed letters to two attorneys who had represented Cooey in his appeal, advising them that the Court of Appeals had removed them as his counsel. The following is the contents of the letter mailed to Richard Cooey's attorneys from the chief deputy clerk. The court has authorized me to tell you that you will not receive any new appointments on appeal or extensions of appointments under the Criminal Justice Act in capital cases. This reflects the court's dissatisfaction with both the quality of the appeal briefs and the oral agreement in Cooey v. Coyle and the amount of the attorney's fees which were paid to you and your co-counsel for Mr. Cooey's representation. The clerk then asked the Ohio Public Defender to find counsel to represent Cooey in the event that he intended to initiate any further federal litigation. The public defender worked diligently to find someone but reported back to the court on July 12, 2003. 12 days before Cooey's scheduled execution, that nobody would take the case. On Wednesday, July 16, 2003, Cooey filed in district court on his own behalf a motion to appoint counsel in this death penalty case in which execution is set for July 24, 2003. The federal judge appointed the Ohio Public Defender's Office to represent Cooey. On July 22, 2003, Cooey filed a Rule 60B motion and a motion for stay of execution. Federal Rule of Civil Procedure 60B provides a party with relief from judgment under certain circumstances. On motion and upon such terms as are just, the court may relieve a party or a party's legal representative from a final judgment, order, or proceeding for the following reasons. Mistake, inadvertence, surprise, or excusable neglect, or any other reason justifying relief from the operation of the judgment. On July 23, 2003, the families of Wendy Ofredo and Dawn McCreary gathered in Lucasville, Ohio, site of the execution chamber where the next day, Richard Cooey would pay the ultimate price for his crimes. Fate had another cruel twist in store for them. The Rule 60B motion was made to Judge Dan Aaron Polster, who wrote, just 13 hours before Cooey was to die, The underlying premise of the stay of execution is that the Court of Appeals letters to Cooey's prior counsel have cast a cloud over the integrity of the habeas process, and that it would be unseemingly for Cooey to be executed while that cloud exists. Rule 60B relief is reserved for those cases of injustices which, in certain instances, are deemed sufficiently gross and to prevent grave miscarriages of justice. The court finds that the extraordinary circumstances in this case could warrant Rule 60B relief. 
It is for the Sixth Circuit to make the ultimate determination as to the meaning and import of the June 10th, 2003 letters. I have had 48 hours to grapple with this unprecedented situation. Ultimately, I have concluded that the integrity of the federal courts would be impunged if the state of Ohio executes Richard Cooey tomorrow. Holster knew the character of the man he was sparing. Here, Richard Cooey brutally raped and murdered two women. He and his associates set up this heinous crime by standing on a bridge and dropping a concrete chunk through the windshield of a randomly selected car as it passed underneath. Cooey and his associates then tortured and murdered the two victims under the guise of offering assistance. A state that elects to establish a system of capital punishment presumably has in mind such defendants. Reasoned and thoughtful people may debate the significance of the life of Richard Cooey. The function of federal habeas corpus, however, is to ensure the integrity of the state's judicial process, particularly when it may culminate in the defendant's execution. It is our own responsibility as federal judges to ensure the integrity of our own process, and that is why I have stayed Cooey's execution. The wheels of justice turn slowly, but grind exceedingly fine. The execution was stayed to allow further investigation into the case. Richard tried anything he could think of to halt the needle. Following additional appeals, requests for clemency, and stays of execution, Cooey's final appeal was rejected. He argued that his obesity rendered lethal injection an inhumane form of execution. He claimed that because his veins were clogged with cholesterol, the first drug administered in lethal injections, a drug intended to induce paralysis to ensure the prisoner feels no pain, would have only partial effect, which would cause him to suffer greatly when the lethal drugs were administered. He also claimed that prison food was responsible for his obesity. He gained over 75 pounds while incarcerated. In February of 2005, Cooey attempted to escape from prison along with another prisoner named Maxwell White. They were spotted by guards when attempting to climb over a series of barbed wire fences. On the night of Monday, October 13th, he chose to consume a last meal. The meal consisted of a T-bone steak with A1 sauce, onion rings, french fries, four over-easy eggs, toast with butter, hash browns, a pint of Rocky Road ice cream, a Mountain Dew, and authentic bear claw pastries from a bakery. He ate until shortly after midnight while watching local television. Cooey spent most of the night sitting on his bed and pacing quietly in his cell. He fell asleep at 4.06 in the morning on Tuesday, October 14th, and woke up shortly after at 5.20. He did not eat breakfast. He later met with an attorney and a spiritual advisor. The McCreary family chose to witness the execution. The Ofredo family, as well as his own, did not attend. When asked if he had any final words, he angrily said, You motherfuckers haven't paid any attention to anything I've said in the last 22 years. Why would anyone pay any attention to anything I had to say now? At 10.20 a.m., the warden signaled the start of the flow of drugs. One put Cooey to sleep, a second paralyzed him, and a third stopped his heart. He tapped his fingers on the gurney as the process unfolded. He died at 10.28. A black hearse parked in the courtyard that took his body to a mortuary. 
he was immediately cremated at the state's expense, and according to his wishes, Cooey's ashes were taken to Ireland by his attorneys. A T-bone steak with A1 sauce, onion rings, french fries, four eggs over easy, toast with butter, hash browns, a pint of Rocky Road ice cream, a Mountain Dew, and bear claws. Take a second to think about what that order says. It's very specific. Is it something that touched home for him? Something that perhaps reminded him of better times? But both halves of that order have something in common, at least according to psychology. A T-bone with A1, greasy onion rings and fries, four eggs, toast with butter, hash browns. A heavy meal. A heavy, comforting meal. It's a well-known finding in psychology that those who have been recently reminded of their own impending mortality eat more. And this effect is most pronounced for those with low self-esteem. The same can be said for an abundance of sweets. Could his rough upbringing sway his decision in his last meal choice? Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to bring sympathy for Richard Cooey. The man was a monster, and as far as I'm concerned, he got what he deserved. It's a common thing that people ask. What would your last meal be? And I'd like to think I'd be able to answer. But I think you may find out that the answer you give when goofing with your friends, and the one that comes out when it's time, may differ greatly. But that's just my opinion. I just want to know why. And in the case of Richard Cooey, we'll never know. That's between him and the executioner. <laughs> 